Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be together this morning. Whether you are joining us online or you're here in person, we're just grateful to be able to have the chance to worship. And I want to say thank you to Melanie and the worship team for leading us. And yeah, you know, to be thinking about God's presence and God's ways in difficult circumstances, um, that's what faith is about. And as we sing together, we are singing not just for ourselves, but often we're singing for the people who are sitting beside us, who maybe we're sitting here this morning and we're in a place of struggle given some of the things that are going on. And so we're actually going to spend a a couple moments praying again. Uh, Melanie and I didn't coordinate, and that's perfect because this is how the Spirit moves this morning. And we're going to be praying for some of the, the difficult things that are going on that may be on your heart, on my heart this morning. And in doing so, I was reminded about how in 1 Peter, Peter reminds us to give our worries to Jesus, to cast our burdens on, onto him because he cares for us. And for many of us this week, what's been on our hearts and our minds is this conflict, this war that is emerging uh, between Israel and Hamas and Gaza. And, and as we're witnessing this, there's a whole lot of, uh, well, it's not a very clear situation, is it? And we need to make space to recognize how deep and how complicated this conflict is and to recognize that war and conflict doesn't happen in a vacuum. And on either side of any conflict, and this is is true in this case too, are people that God knows and loves deeply. And in a conflict like this, both sides have done things that grieve God's heart. And so that is a part of how we pray. We pray in a place of tension often. And this morning, that's how we might find ourselves praying about this. In addition, for others of us, you know, today we find ourselves also uh, mourning the death of a friend. And this week we sent an email out about Frank Isaac who passed away. And while there's many of us in this room who don't know who Frank is, there are many of us who do. And so there's a mess of emotions attached to that too as we are feeling sadness. Maybe we're feeling all sorts of grief. Maybe it's confusion. And so as we spend some time praying this morning, we are sitting in the uncomfortable tension, but saying, God, you know what's going on. We don't. Our hearts are a mess. We don't know what to think. We're angry even. But God, we're going to pray. Please join me. Lord Jesus, today... We want to acknowledge your presence here with us. We want to acknowledge your presence as we have sung. We want to acknowledge the presence of you in those that we are sitting beside this morning. Lord, that you are the giver of good gifts. And Lord, that we have appreciated so many good things this week. And Lord, the presence of community in a season like this is one of those things. And so Lord, this morning we want to say thank you. Lord Jesus, some of us this morning here are burdened by what is going on in our world. And one of the things that is going on is this emerging war between Israel and Hamas and Gaza. And Lord, we, we, I, don't know what to make of this. It's a conflict that has been simmering for a long time. And both sides have been victims and perpetrators of injustice and violence over the years. And so this morning we mourn the loss of life. We mourn for families who are split up. We, we, are, we stand with those who are living in fear and instability and uncertainty, not knowing what is going to happen and what, is, what it's going to mean for them and their loved ones. God, this morning, some of us are angry. 
We're angry at the authorities and the powers and the principalities that keep cycles of violence like this going for generations. And God, in all this, we acknowledge that we don't know what the answer is. In fact, Lord, in our, in our hearts, we realize that the best human answers have failed time and time and time again. And so, Lord, this morning, all we can do is come before you and ask that you would reveal your way of peace. To bring healing to relationships, to bring healing to families, to bring healing to systems and, and, and governments and communities. Lord, we're not sure what this looks like or how or when or even if this conflict is going to end. But, Lord, today we are looking to you for help. And in all of this, God, we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And help us, Lord, somehow to be people of hope in the messiness of a situation like this. Lord, today there are some of us in this community who are, who are mourning the loss of our friend Frank. Lord, I ask that you hold us gently in the emotions that we are feeling that we would know your presence in our confusion, in our sadness, in our anger even. God, there's a lot here that we don't understand and maybe we will never understand. And yet, God, we know that you know. And so we are choosing to seek you in this moment. And God, we pray for Suzanne and the rest of Frank's family. May they know your peace and your love today. May they be filled with memories and laughter as they remember Frank's life. And may they rest in the knowledge that Frank is with you and free from the struggle. Lord Jesus, be with us. Be with this family as we pray. Lord, there's a lot of other things that might be going on in our lives this week. Relationships that are strained. Futures that seem uncertain. Lord, we might not be sure how we're going to provide for our tomorrows. In all of this, God, we come to you. Lord, seeking you and asking that you would help us to rest in your presence. Lord Jesus, be with us, we pray. Amen. You know, as a child, my parents had a rule for my siblings and myself that we weren't allowed to play guns. Anybody else have a rule like this growing up? Now, if you know anything about little boys, and I'm a former little boy, you will know that little boys have the uncanny ability to turn anything into a gun or a sword, okay? Uh, give us a broom, a hockey stick, hockey stick is perfect, a random stick off the ground, or even a stuffy, okay? We can shoot you with anything if we want to. It's almost futile to try to get us not to. In fact, this week I was talking to one of my kids' uh, playmates at the schoolyard, and I was saying thank you. I saw something good. I said, hey... Thanks for doing that. And this is what he did to me. Pew, pew. <laughs> out of nowhere. He kid shot me out of nowhere. I was saying thank you. I know. You know, as an adult, I now get where my parents were coming from because they didn't want us glorifying something that causes harm and is really, truly horrific. That's what they didn't want. And it wasn't until I became a student of history that I began to understand the reasoning for this rule myself. I thought it was just one of those things that my parents were doing to squash my fun. 
Well, one of my first history high school, high school history courses, and one of those, we, we learned about World War I, and we learned about what it was like for those soldiers who were involved. And one of the defining characteristics of the First World War was trench warfare. And historians say that there was roughly 760 kilometers of trenches that spanned the Western Front. These trenches served as defensive positions as well as the basis for launching attacks. But the reality is that with both sides dug in, not a lot of movement happened, at least not with a whole lot of casualties. In fact, the use of trenches became synonymous with the idea of a stalemate. They weren't getting anywhere, at least not without a whole lot of pain and suffering. And I wonder if this idea or this picture of two deeply entrenched positions can be helpful, a helpful way of thinking about some of our relationships. That indeed, some of our relationships, they feel like a battle. I mean, you think what you think, and I think what I think, and if we ever actually talk about that thing, then what's going to come out is a conflict, is going to feel like a fight. And it kind of feels like we're trying to take shots at each other, that we're dug in, into our way of thinking, into our established you know, uh, perspectives, and what we're doing is we're taking shots at one another. And there's not a lot of movement, and there's a lot of casualties. What we end up finding is that we are in a stalemate. And so what we need to find is we need to find a better way forward in our relationships. And this is what our series on peaceful practices is really all about. It's about finding a better way for us to engage these relationships where conflict or divisive differences seem to be so normal. And so this morning we're going to be looking to Jesus to see what kind of guidance he can give us. And the big idea that we're exploring is that dialogue will result in better things than debate. Dialogue will result in better things than debate. And to help us understand what does it mean to engage in dialogue, we're going to look at the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. It's kind of a different way of looking at it than perhaps we're used to, but we're going to look at it and see what, how, does, how can this help us understand what does it mean to engage in dialogue. And so we're going to be looking at John chapter 4, reading from verse 3 to verse 26. So he, Jesus, left Judea and he went back, to, back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son J- Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. 
Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is, just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the, in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. In our passage today, we have Jesus, and he's traveling to Galilee, but this time, instead of going around Samaria, which is often what people did, he decided to go through it. And while he's there, he ends up engaging in a conversation with this woman at a well. Now, Jews and Samaritans, most of us are aware, were not friendly towards one another. They didn't agree on some pretty significant things, and so they didn't hang out. They didn't spend time with each other. They saw each other as enemies. And culturally, a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman, they wouldn't have spent any time together. In fact, men and women stayed separate, and the fact that there is a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman, that's extra distance. That's extra separation here, because you know what? That's what they were supposed to do. And this background right here should help us see how this story can be applicable in our own context of, of conflict and divisive differences. It should be able to help us. And so just imagine for me one moment here, the different people that are in our lives. You know, who are the people with, that, that you disagree with so much that you just avoid sensitive topics? Who are those people? Or who are the people that you avoid altogether? You, not, you won't even talk to them. You're just going around, going around them. Or who are the people that you always seem to get in an argument with? Who are those folks? You know, for some of us, who comes to mind is, is that co-worker that we try to avoid because we can't stand the perspective that they have. We find it pretty offensive, and so we try to stay away from them. For others of us, it's a member of our own family, a sibling perhaps, and that topic of how do we take care of our aging parents seems to always start a fight. Or as Christians, there is the reality that, that theology and how we understand the Bible is all, always has the potential for disagreement. And so often what we try to do is we just try to keep things nice. You know, these relationships could easily be like the relationship that Jesus should have had with that Samaritan woman. However, in typical Jesus fashion, Jesus breaks with tradition and instead of shunning her, he actively engages her in a healthy and a transformative dialogue with somebody who was very different from him, who culturally there was no expectation that he would have interacted with. And so as we look at this exchange, I think that we can learn how we can engage in dialogue, even within the context of somebody that we are in a divisive difference or a conflict with, you know, somebody is, thinks so differently or, or, or is coming at life so differently than we are. I think this, this story can help us uh, just get a sense of what does dialogue look like. And it starts with recognizing that a, a healthy dialogue begins with vulnerability. 
You know, in our passage today, Jesus breaks the ice. I mean, they could have just sat there and just pretended that the other one wasn't there, but Jesus breaks the ice by showing some vulnerability. He's thirsty. He's got nothing to draw water with, and so he asked this woman for some help. And in doing so, he's beginning the conversation by naming his weakness. He's thirsty. And his need. He needs water, but he can't help himself. See, rather than starting with what he has to offer her, he starts with his need. He starts with a position of vulnerability. And that is actually significant because Jesus, as the Messiah, he has plenty to offer. He has plenty to offer her. She needs what he has, but that's not where he starts. He starts with an act of humility and honors her by seeing that she has something to offer him. Now, this idea of starting with vulnerability might seem kind of odd or crazy to us, especially when we're in a disagreement about something that we feel pretty strongly about. I mean, to volunteer our weakness is going to feel like we're somehow diminishing our position. After all, we believe that we have something off, offer, to offer somebody else. But the key to uh, having a healthy dialogue on pretty much anything is to start with humility, recognizing that we might not know it all, that we might be wrong, and that we could possibly benefit from somebody else giving us something, that, we, that there are things that we need help with. But vulnerability, as we know, doesn't come naturally, does it? In fact, many of us have worked really, really hard over the years to cover up our vulnerability. That's how we've been trained. That's what we grew up. Don't be vulnerable. Don't show weakness. But vulnerability is essential for connection and, and helps make things like intimacy, innovation, creativity, and change possible. You know, but again, vulnerability is hard and it feels risky, especially when there's a disagreement. But vulnerability is key to breaking that relational stalemate that many of us find ourselves in. Now, if we get back to this passage, this woman also has a need. You know, she needs the living water that only Jesus can give. She acknowledges that. She wants that. And so we see how Jesus' vulnerability disarms her to eventually being vulnerable herself. And this mutual vulnerability that we see transforms their conversation from something that could easily have been a debate, I think this and you think that, and just going at it, from a debate into a dialogue. Now, for many of us, our tendency is to want to, to live our lives or to hold ourselves like we have it all figured out. You know, we want to come across as being confident or having all the answers, but the problem is, is that this kind of way of living doesn't lead to healthy relationships, and we know it. In fact, what can happen when we, when we live, out, live this way, when we feel like we need, need to keep that facade going, is that uh, we can find ourselves being quick to give our opinions, being quickly defensive and quick to go on the attack, all the while trying to keep people at arm's length because we don't want people to see that we are a fraud, that we aren't who we think that we, you know, that they think we are. Do they really think that we are who we think that they, you know, who we want them to think? I don't know. That didn't make any sense. You know what I'm going at there, you know? <laughs> Hopefully you do. <laughs> but vulnerability drops that facade. It is willing to say things like, I don't know. Or, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way before. Or, hey, I could really use some help. To be vulnerable is, be on is to be honest about the things that we don't know and to acknowledge that we have needs. You know, of course, we, we can find opportunities to share what it is that we're learning, but it, it needs to be done with humility and after we've already communicated that we are willing to receive what somebody else might have to offer. And so vulnerability is our starting point. And if we take that seriously, I think we might just find that, that our disagreements go in more productive directions as a result. 
Now, a few weeks ago, there was a knock on our front door, and, and there were two college-aged guys dressed in the uniform of one of the big telecom companies. And after giving me a very polite greeting, they, uh, they launched into their script, which included asking me some questions about my family and our needs. Now, we know that they don't really care about my family and my family's needs, do they, right? They, their questions very much had an agenda. In fact, they were prepared to respond to almost any answer that I could give them. It was all a part of the script. See, for them, their questions were the starting point to get at what they wanted, what they, the, what they wanted to achieve through that conversation. And unfortunately, that can be true in our relationships as well, especially when it comes to folks that we have divisive differences with. And if we're honest, many of us are going to find ourselves engaged in conversations that have a bit of an agenda, you know, the result, in which case, the questions that we ask, the responses that we give, are all about trying to dismantle somebody else's point of view and to try to reinforce our own and to try to maybe persuade them to come over to our side. But the problem is, if that is our approach, then we're going to have a really hard time getting anywhere. We're going to find ourselves again in that stalemate. Well, as we look at this conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, we see something that we've already talked about a few times in this series, and that is curiosity. See, curiosity is often expressed through asking questions, and this exchange is full of questions. This woman asks question after question of Jesus, and you know what? It doesn't feel like her questions have answers already embedded in them. And not only that, but it doesn't seem that these questions are, are designed to try to trip up or confuse Jesus either. Rather, these seem to be candid, real questions that create space for Jesus to answer authentically. See, a healthy dialogue requires that we have honest curiosity. Requires that we have honest curiosity. And often we'll call these open-ended questions or open questions, right? And when we use them, and when we mean it when we use them, they communicate an interest in the other person and the desire to understand a different point of view rather than trying to manipulate a conversation to make a point. Now, one of the questions that this woman asked Jesus gets at the real heart of the division between Jews and Samaritans. See, for centuries, there had been disagreement about where the correct place to worship was with both sides being, having deeply embedded and entrenched positions that they believed to be true, and they backed up theologically. But with humility and, and vulnerability, the, with the humility and vulnerability of Jesus, what has happened here is a space has been created for this woman to bring up this real core issue that divided people and to talk about it. And as we pay attention to this story, what we see is that, that this creating space to get the core, at the core of what is really going on leads to discovering something new that hadn't been a part of consideration before. And we're going to talk about that in a couple moments. By creating space, they created the possibility to discover something new. Now, I want us to imagine again uh, some of those people that we have divisive differences or conflict with. It might be a family member. It might be a neighbor or a coworker. It might be somebody sitting here in this room uh, right now. And I want us to imagine what might happen the next time that topic comes up that always seems to lead to conflict. What would happen if we led with vulnerability and curiosity? And to tell you the truth, I think that curiosity is actually a really good way of expressing vulnerability. What would that do for the nature and the disposition of that conversation? and that relationship. 
You know, instead of going into a conversation locked and loaded with our beliefs and convictions, how might it go if we ask questions like, hey, could you tell me more about why that's important to you? Or what has helped you come to that way of understanding this? What, or what do you wish that I understood about this issue or about your perspective or about your situation? What do you wish that I knew? You know, sometimes I think we're afraid of curiosity because it might be misconstrued as agreement, right? Like, they're going to think by me asking these questions and not telling them what I think that I'm in agreement with this thing. And we're sometimes afraid of that, and so we stay away from curiosity. But I'm going to encourage us to set that fear aside because agreement really isn't the point here. Rather, the point is that we are creating space for a healthier relational dynamic to emerge that can only come when we've made an honest effort to understand other people. And curiosity is a part of how we make that happen. One of the uh, silly little games that I play when I'm preparing for a meeting when they've given us an agenda, you know, an agenda like here's what to expect, is I take a look at that agenda and I try to figure out which of these agenda items is going to take a lot longer than we think it's going to. Okay, because in every meeting I've ever been to, there's always something that we sit there and we're like, hey, this is going to take five minutes and we're just going to rubber stamp that thing and move on. And instead it takes 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes and the board chair is like, hey, okay, we've got to wrap this up. We'll put this on the agenda for next month and we'll continue it. Every meeting I've been a part of, there's usually something that happens like that. Now, the reason why I play this little guessing game is not an expression of my pessimism towards meetings. It really isn't. But it's a, it's a way of reminding myself to, that it's good to expect conversation. In fact, more often than not, I am surprised by how much better an idea emerges after time is given to talk something through. And usually it's something that has never occurred to me before. It wasn't even a part of my thinking when the agenda came out in the first place. And so this brings us to our final point this morning, that a healthy dialogue leads to discovering things that were previously unknown. You know, as we look at this conversation between Jesus and this woman, I hope that we notice that there's a back and forth that happens in the conversation. This is not one of those times when Jesus stands up in front of a large crowd and he gives a speech. He preaches a sermon at people or to people. Rather, this text starts with Jesus sitting down. He's tired. He sits down and he engages in a one-on-one conversation with somebody who is just clapping to be close by. And it goes back and forth. Jesus says something. She says something. Goes back and forth a whole bunch of times. And notice, this isn't a debate. You know, Jesus, in fact, Jesus doesn't directly respond to her questions with a rebuttal. You know, you think this. And Jesus doesn't come in and be like, well, there you go. This is my point of view. He doesn't do that. He doesn't directly address her question about Jacob's well, and he doesn't directly respond to her question about where the proper place to worship is. He doesn't take a particular side. Instead, through this practice of dialogue, Jesus can see that there's way more to to this woman's story than the questions that she is asking. And so his responses reflect a desire to, to go beyond what could be divisive to what really matters. And as a result, Jesus is able to reveal something to, about himself, and this woman is able to discover something that she didn't already know, and something that she didn't know she needed. And it happens through the back and forth of this conversation. In fact, this woman in this story is the first person whom Jesus reveals his identity as a Messiah to. That's interesting. It's not the people who came kind of locked and loaded with an agenda and a debate who wanted to you know, fight Jesus that get it, get it first. It's this woman who comes and she has a back and forth conversation with Jesus. Interesting. 
You know, as we think about our relationships, we can often find ourselves thinking that, you know what, we're okay with a strained relationship. We can live, we can learn to live with it, right? But again, I want us to imagine how it could be different. What might it be like if we meaningfully engaged in a healthy dialogue with somebody that we are in conflict with or someone that we have divisive differences with? What might we find as a result of that? Perhaps we'll find a renewed relationship with somebody that, you know, we'd become estranged to. Maybe there's some healing from some past hurts that become possible. Maybe there's a new perspective that we would find tremendously helpful to our lives and the direction of our lives. Maybe it's the realization that that person or those people that we once saw as adversaries can actually be our friends. That we can, there's, some, there's a relationship there that would be good for both of us. Imagine the possibilities the things that might be possible if we chose to engage in dialogue rather than debate. But dialogue, like we're talking about this morning, is hard. It's rarely practiced. Rather, the type of conversation that we are much, much more familiar with is much more like debate, a debate where we are hunkered down in our positions, locked and loaded to defend ourselves while preparing to attack the other person. And even in those situations when we aren't actually doing it, in some ways, that's what we're preparing for, right? We know that cousin so-and-so thinks differently than us, and so mentally we are prepared for that moment when we might need to defend ourselves and to give them our perspective forcefully. We rehearse those type of things in our minds, don't we? But dialogue is different. Dialogue is content to hold things in tension, It walks the line of holding and expressing what is important to us while at the same time being open to and understanding somebody else. Dialogue requires respect, an open mind, an open heart, and curiosity. Again, this is hard, and it doesn't come naturally to many of us. Rather, it's like a muscle that we need to use, we need to stretch, we need to develop, and we need to keep doing it over and over again so that it can be a healthy, functioning, ready muscle. Athletes, they, they train their, their muscles regu- regularly and rigorously to get ready for competition. You know, they practice the basics of their sport over and over and over again so they, they can grow what they call muscle memory so that they can perform well when the time comes and so that they can avoid injury. One coaching website I looked at this week suggested that college basketball players should be shooting at least 5,000 free throws every summer so that they can be ready for when the season starts. You know, see what they're, do- what they're doing here? Suggesting it's not good enough to be, you know, waiting for the big game and then see if you can make the shot. Rather, they're supposed to be preparing themselves so that they'll be ready when the time comes. You know, when it comes to finding a better way to navigate the divisive differences or the conflicts that we might encounter in our relationships, we need to to find ways to, to develop the muscles of healthy dialogue and to be willing to practice and to do so for the good of our relationships, but also to avoid injury. Because if we do it wrong, we're going to cause harm. Debate causes harm. And so we need to be deliberate in, in, in our training you know, looking to Jesus, like we just reflect on, as we've just reflected on this interaction, what, does di- what could dialogue look, look like? Maybe looking to other people who do dialogue well. But maybe for us, what it means is that we start small. Maybe perhaps in the safety of a conversation with somebody that we love and, and we know loves us, we know it's a safe space, and we talk about a relatively small difference of opinion. And we start by practicing vulnerability. You know, instead of leading with our opinions, we acknowledge that maybe we find this topic hard too. 
You know, I don't know what to do with mom and dad. I'm struggling to know how to care for them as well. And to start at a place like that. And to, and to seek to understand their perspective by asking questions. I was listening to a podcast this week, and, and the, it had nothing to do with what we're talking about, but the person made a, made a point about what did it mean to lead well, and he said, I always ask at least five questions before I state my opinion in a meeting. That could apply to everything. And it certainly applies to what we're talking about when it comes to dialogue today. Ask more questions before we tell people what we think. In doing so, we will learn to understand and be able to enter into a dialogue more meaningfully at a deeper level. I think that if we work on this, what we will discover is we will discover the possibility for transformed relationships that we just wouldn't find if we continue our normal patterns of things. And instead, we're going to discover something new and something wonderful that is just was previously unknown to us. And so let's pray about that as we, as we wrap up this morning. Lord Jesus, we again thank you for who you are and Lord, for how you speak into our lives and our circumstances. God, we acknowledge that our relationships can be complicated. That's a bit of an understatement at points, Lord. There are relationships that we have that are downright hard, ones that we just can't figure out how we would ever find common ground on. And so God, this morning, we again ask that you would help us to navigate these hard conversations whether it be with people in our house, whether they be people that we work with or go to school with, whether it be the people who live next door to us or in the same building that we live in, or, God, the bigger, broader social conversations that we, we, we participate in every day. Lord, would you help us to navigate these well? Would you help us to practice these ways of peace? Give us the ability to be curious, to ask good questions, to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Lord, help us to be willing to be vulnerable, recognizing that in vulnerability, good things emerge. Lord Jesus, would you help us this week? Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us strength? Would you give us courage? Would you help us to bounce back when a conversation goes south? Lord, would you help us to be gracious with ourselves and with others? Lord Jesus, thank you. Amen.